and that's why scripture is needed is because without scripture we can't know who God is we can't know what it is we're supposed to do we can't know what it is to think a couple weeks back we talked about worldviews right mm-hmm. we can't have a Christian worldview without the Bible we just can't um, we can't have an understanding of where God is coming from how he sees the world how he's done things if we don't have the Bible we don't have a basis for a worldview at right. all. So it's it's kind of like the analogy that I that I use. And if this analogy is helpful, use it. If it's not, um, you know, toss it out. Because the Bible, again, over the last few weeks, we've established this is God's word, right? What what does that mean? How you interpret that? Uh, we we went into that, uh, I believe, last week. Um, but I look at it as a car. You know, um, the Bible is a car. The car is a way that I get to work. Okay, that is my vehicle for getting to work. Without my car, I have no job. I have no job where I'm working right now anyway. And so um, scripture is that way for the Christian, for the Christian faith. Without the Bible, without Christian scripture, you do not have the vehicle by which you arrive at your understanding of uh, God's demands. You have no basis for Christian doctrine. You have no understanding of who Jesus is. Um, it gives us uh, the clarity about our condition and our need. Like, hey, it tells us about our sinful state. Like, a lot of people are asking, why do I need God? And Christians sometimes um, try to defend or answer these kinds of questions without appealing to Scripture. I'm finding that more and more because a lot of Christians are like, oh, you know, people don't believe the Bible, so I need to find some sort of analogy. I need to find some sort of uh, example that will speak to them in a way that they can understand without referencing scripture. And I know some people are trying to be parabolic like Jesus was. He would use parables and things like that. I'm not saying don't use parables, but you have a lot of people who are so afraid to use scripture because people don't believe it. Um, but there's no way to communicate someone's, no one's condition, their sinful condition without appealing to scripture. That's why it's necessary uh, for the believer. Scripture also, it helps us understand reality how it comes to us, like we see, um, we see police brutality against minorities. Um, we see um, uh, teachers being convicted of having sex with their students. Uh, we see uh, parents abusing their children. We see all sorts of evil uh, in the world. And then you also see things like, uh, you know, uh, a child helping an old person cross the street. You see, um, you know, I'm trying to think of good things. You're so used to hearing about all the bad news, right? Even coming up with good examples um, is, is difficult. You see a, a father taking care of his son. You see a, a mother uh, taking care of her husband and her children, their family. You see these good things. And scripture helps us understand how we arrive at these different things. Scripture helps us understand how certain things are good. And certain things are bad. How we're all just like, wow, that is, that's terrible right there. That thing that is happening, that's bad. You know, Hitler killing six million Jews, probably not a good thing. Man, that father doting on his daughter, having a little tea party and putting on a princess hat. Um, he, you know, he was before he had a daughter. He was like, I want a son. I want to have a son. I want to have a son. But then he had a daughter, and he adapted, and he just started having tea parties and putting on the little tiaras and things just to make her happy. That's a good thing. And so we can look at scripture and it helps us understand the good and the bad that we see in reality. And it's our source for theology. 
Scripture is our source for theology. We don't understand anything uh, about the study of God. There is no study of God without Scripture. And, that, and that's actually something that goes for any world religion. So that's not even... Um, that's not even part and parcel to Christianity. I mean, it is part and parcel to Christianity, but it is not just specific to Christianity. Without, um, without the Quran, you cannot, if you were a Muslim, you could not understand Allah. Now, we believe that uh, on this podcast, Justin and I believe that uh, people who are of the Muslim faith are sorely misguided. They are deceived that Allah is not a real God. He is a false God, but it is a world religion. And so without their spiritual text, they can't understand what is demanded of them. They cannot understand how to think about their religion and their worldview and how do they arrive at that. Same thing goes for Christianity here. Without the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you have no source whatsoever for theology. You might have some basic understanding. You can look at nature and say, okay, there must be a God and there's some design, but um, you can't arrive specifically at what God uh, is saying and demands of us and what our condition is without uh, without Scripture. That's the necessity of Scripture. That's why Scripture is necessary. We call that special revelation. That's what the Bible is, is special uh, revelation. And we kind of touched on it uh, last week, but I actually ended up editing that out. Uh, so I'm going to loosely talk about that. Uh, is So the Bible is considered special revelation. Nature is general revelation. You, you can kind of look at it and understand that something's going on, um, but the Bible is special revelation uh, specifically to uh, God revealing his character and his person and his demands upon mankind. Justin, what are your thoughts? No, yeah. I mean, that's – the necessity of Scripture is is one of those things where um, there was – there's a really good debate that – or a really good conversation. It was less of a debate, more of a conversation between um, Alistair McGrath and um, Richard Dawkins on – YouTube, and all you got to do is put Alistair McGrath and um, Richard Dawkins, and you and you find it. And beside the fact that Dawkins is his usual thick self, who's not understanding what Alistair or Alistair McGrath is trying to get at, um, and doesn't follow the dialogue, McGrath still does a very good job of explaining um, how something that you said earlier, Kelvin, that made me think of this was how you talked about how Christianity speaks to the world as it is. It gives us more tangible, real answers as to why bad things happen. It gives us more real and tangible answers as to why things happen the way that they happen in the real world, okay? And he basically, McGrath, who was an atheist... Um, says, I got into Oxford and I started my chemistry degree and I began to realize that science is not as certain as I thought it was. <laughs> that the scientific method necessitates questions and necessitates um, necessitates the continual testing of a hypothesis or even something that's been proven true already to, to possibly put a hole in it. And he goes, once I began to recognize that really scientific theory and all of these ideas and things that we have with regard to science, these things are not fixed. These are moving targets that we're constantly trying to understand the natural world with more. 
the more and more we begin to, he goes, the more and more I started to recognize this, the more and more I started to kind of move my way towards Christianity because he goes, there's a certainty within Christianity that you don't have with science. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's a certainty that Jesus states about himself and about God. Science isn't as certain. And so he he really started to kind of look at how the Bible and how Christian faith actually answered considerably more questions than science can. Science can't answer the question, why are we here? It can't. Now, I know a lot of scientists will take it, will take a, will take issue with that, and that's fine. I'm okay with you being wrong. Um, science is meant to answer questions that are in the natural world. They're not, it's not intended to answer supernatural questions. The scientific method, by definition, deals with natural science, deals right. with I, natural things. It doesn't deal with supernatural. That. You talked about that a little last week, which I think was good, and we don't need to go too deep into it again this week, but I remember being in college, um, and uh, there was a guy, he was, from, uh, he was a student uh, there as well, and um, he was from Great Britain, and uh, he found out that I was majoring in ministry. And, uh, and so he's like, oh, just science. I don't know how we even got onto this conversation. Uh, but he was very, you know, kind of, you know, abrasive about it. Well, not, not abrasive in the way that he was being a jerk, but just kind of like, uh, I don't remember there being any connector to how this conversation started. It's just like full on started. Um, and I was like in the middle of it before I realized I was in it. <laughs> uh, and he said something to the effect of, wow, you know, so you're studying ministry, you must really, uh, really hate science and, and what, what that says about uh, scripture. And I said, well, you know, uh, science, and I said, you know, science and scripture uh, comment on different things. Either way, um, I want to kind of go back to something I was talking about earlier, uh, really, just so I can get to my C.S. Lewis quote, because, you know, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I we talked about, away from the CSO yeah, quote. Did. Now you're. Oh, we did. I gotta get. I gotta get back to it. Uh, that was that was a rough <laughs> transition. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listening crowd. Um, but um, I talked a little bit. I alluded to uh, the Muslim, uh, the Muslim faith, uh, the Muslim faith, and um, we'll talk about that uh, more at length in the future as well. I live in Detroit, Michigan, uh, and uh, Dearborn, Michigan is uh, about 20 minutes away from me. It's the largest concentration of Arabic people outside of Iraq is right here in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, because Henry Ford, when he was uh, starting the Henry Ford Motor Company, he was courting people uh, from the Middle East, uh, in addition to courting people from uh, the southern, uh, southern states in the United States. Um, but he courted people from the Middle East to work uh, here in his factories. And so we now have the largest concentration of people uh, Arabic people outside of Iraq. And so uh, that's, a, that's a people group that weighs heavily on my heart uh, here in the city of Detroit. And I don't have a lot of relationships with people who are, hey, Zordon, uh, I don't have a lot of uh, relationships with people who are of Arabic background, but I've had many, many conversations over the years uh, with people willing to listen uh, to what I have to say, and I've been willing to listen to what they have to say. Uh, but either way, uh, within the Muslim faith, there's this this kind of a conception of God that is different uh, than the Christian conception of God. And we'll talk about the Trinity somewhere down the road. We'll talk about God become man in the person of Jesus. Talk about, you know, the, the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about all these things uh, as, as the podcast progress uh, progresses. But you have got uh, in the world all of these different views. 
worldviews, uh, world religions, cults, all these kind of rival conceptions of who God is. And within a lot of these religions, you'll even have people who have rival conceptions of Jesus. Uh, within the Muslim faith, uh, they, be they believe in Jesus in the Muslim faith, but they believe that Jesus was a prophet. He was not God. He was not the son of God. Uh, and he's subservient to Allah. Within Baha'i faith, uh, Jesus is subservient to Allah and Baha'u'llah, who uh, Muhammad is actually subservient to. So there are different views out there of who Jesus is and who God is. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, um, he has a chapter called The Rival Conceptions of God in his book, uh, Mere Christianity. And he says this, quote, I have been asked to tell you what Christians believe, and I am going to begin by telling you one thing that Christians do not need to believe. If you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. If you are an atheist, you do not have you do you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is simply one huge mistake. If you are a Christian, you are free to think that all these religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered to them most. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. But of course, being a Christian does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. As in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum, but all other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. And so you've got these rival conceptions of God out there, uh, such as within the Muslim faith and Baha'i faith and the Mormon faith and all these other faiths that are out there and world religions that are out there. And something that comes from the necessity of Scripture, another reason I believe that Scripture is necessary is because of Scripture's uniqueness. And we'll get into this down the road, um, but I just want to touch on it lightly in in respect to uh, the Bible is unique uh, in terms of, and when I say unique, I mean it's different from, and I believe superior to, uh, the holy books of other world religions. Uh, it is superior to other world views. It is superior to the thoughts, intents, and beliefs of uh, all the cults that are out there. And what I mean by that is this, it's unique in many different ways. And, and Justin, uh, I definitely want to have a conversation around some of these things. So maybe you can comment, uh, we can go back through them. But first, it's unique in its continuity. I mean, it was written over, uh, it was written over about a 1500 year span. It was written by more than 40 authors. It was written on three different continents. It was written by different, um, in, in different types of places, different times. Uh, and so it's unique in its continuity. A lot of other world religions and ideas don't have that. It's also uh, unique in its uh, in its circulation. It's gotten around. <laughs> the Bible's gotten around. That's I, I don't know if I said that correctly, um, but I mean more copies have been produced. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Bible gets around. The Bible is not a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we just found the name of this episode. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I mean, but more copies have been produced of its entirety as well as selected portions in any other book in history. So, I mean, it's, for lack of a better word, it's, it's been circulated heavy, heavier than other world religion uh, uh, texts. Um, it's unique in its translation. I mean, the numbers of translation of the Bible are every bit uh, as impressive as its sales numbers. If you don't know, the Bible is the, you know, best-selling book of all time. You can go to the New York Times bestseller list, and the Bible has been retired. 
<laughs> it is the all-time champion. It is the Michael Jordan of books. By no, no, it's by a lot. By oh yeah, we're not we're not talking like there's a close second. Like nobody is close. Mm-hmm. Bible wins it by and large by quite a bit, and that also comes for how many translations it comes in. The Bible yeah. also wins that competition by a considerable amount. Yeah, I mean, people. It's really interesting. Uh, people will. Um, a lot of publishing houses. And again, with this website, I do a lot of uh, reviews of books. And so I, I see a lot of uh, advertisements from, uh, from publishers and they will talk about how this book, like Harry Potter was, uh, it was translated into like 40 different languages. It's like, oh yeah, you know how many hundreds of languages the Bible has been translated into? I mean, it's unique in its translation. I mean, languages you haven't even heard of. Right. right. Even, you know what? I knew a guy in college. Uh, his, uh, he was a professor. His name was John Barton. He actually helped to, if I, I and I might be telling this story incorrectly. I believe it's true. Uh, I believe this, this is accurate. But he worked with a people group in Uganda who, when he got there, had no written language. And he helped to create the language for the specific purpose of translating the Bible. So you have people who go to these indigenous people groups who don't have any written language whatsoever. There are still people on this earth who have no written language. And people will work to create a written language based on the language that they are speaking and translate scripture into that language. You're not going to find someone traveling to Uganda to a group that has uh, no written language just so that they can put Harry Potter into their language. You're not going to find that. And so the Bible is unique in its translation. It's also unique in its survival. I mean, every, everybody has tried to destroy this book and keep it from being circulated. I mean, it has survived across time. We're 2,000 years removed at this point from the completion of Scripture. It has survived through persecution. People have made this book illegal. They've made it illegal to print. They have burned it. They've tried to bury it, and it's still here. It has survived criticism. We're now in this kind of neoliberalist uh, world that uh, that Justin was talking about earlier. And so you've got this higher radical criticism. Um, I believe Marcus Borg is one of the, the top guys right now who is basically saying that, you know, Christianity isn't what we think it is. It's based on pagan religions and all this different stuff. And it has survived those kinds of onslaughts for years. So it's unique in its survival. It's unique in its teachings. It teaches prophecy. It teaches history. It's unique in its character, how it teaches character to people. There are world religions that don't teach any of this kind of stuff. And it's also unique in its influence. It's unique in its influence on literature. You'll find all sorts of references throughout history uh, in, in literary works that are referencing the Bible. And it's really, really interesting how it does that. And its influence on modern and ancient civilization. There are, there are very few civilizations that have been untouched by the influence of Scripture. It's an amazing thing when you really look at history and you recognize just how many languages were standardized by a translation of the Scripture. So you have the English King James Version, which happened to standardize Shakespearean English. You had... Um, you had the Gutenberg, which was the standard for the German language. Still is to this day. It's still considered the standard for the German language. By the way, if you don't know, Justin, we actually have a couple of pages out of the Gutenberg Bible uh, in the Detroit Public Library in downtown Detroit. I've seen them. 
Oh, okay. All right. I didn't know. All right. There you go. They're, they're, they're amazing. They are quite they're, fantastic. They're amazing. Um, but it's one of those things where if you if you understand um, how influential the Bible has been to Western civilization in particular, and how influential it's becoming in other parts of the world, like in Africa, like Kelvin said, there are people who are literally going and creating written languages for languages that already exist, and then translating the Bible into that language so that way they have the Gospels. That is going to standardize their language. Yeah, that's going to give them a benchmark by which to understand grammar and um, syntax and morphology and all of those nice little ology and ism words that you learn in grammatical criticism. But um, it's been kind of interesting too to see, like even uh, just a juxtaposition of uh, juxtapositioning of how scripture has influenced certain cultures. Right, like right now, a lot of people will look at Africa, African nations, and say how backwards they are. Um, and we're just more developed than they are. And here's a fact. Um, we, during colonialism, during, you know, a lot of uh, people under the auspices of taking Christ to people, we're actually going in to basically take all the resources. And I mean, that's a historical fact. And that's why people still have issues with colonialism to this day. Um, but regardless, the Bible took hold in a lot of African nations. And uh, this past week, at the time of recording, President Obama is uh, currently in Kenya. And uh, his father, if I'm not mistaken, was from Kenya. Mm-hmm. And so he's back there and he's visiting. And he spoke about gay rights because um, the United States Supreme Court just uh, made it uh, legal in all 50 states for, uh, for gay people to get married. And he went there and uh, said, hey, you know, uh, I believe that you need to give rights to, to gay people. And uh, they responded, no. No, I mean, we have other issues that we're talking about, other things that we need to, to think on right now. And, uh, but really at bottom of what a lot of these African nations believe, 32 nations, uh, homosexual marriage, gay marriage is illegal. And we can go round and round about whether that's right or wrong. Uh, I've got my points of view. People probably disagree with it. But um, the reason why it is illegal in a lot of these nations is because the Bible took hold in a lot of these nations. And uh, the United States in many ways is trying to move away from biblical understandings of the world. And I remember uh, a few years ago uh, that the gay lobby was starting to move into Africa and Christian missionaries were going over and talking about, uh, you know, how gay rights needed to be a thing as well. And a lot of uh, African indigenous peoples uh, in these countries said if, <laughs> said, if you do not believe the Bible, why did you bring it to us? So they were, able, they, were able, they, were, they were able to very quickly say, look, the Bible says that this is incorrect. You taught us how to interpret scripture. We now know how to interpret scripture. Don't think that we're dummies because we're in this third world country. Okay, we can understand this. You put it in our language. We know our language. We know how to exegete scripture correctly. Why would you bring this book to us and then not believe what it says in it? And so that's why we were finding, we're finding kind of this clash of culture, uh, this clash of cultures uh, right now, uh, because uh, people are landing uh, squarely on one side uh, in terms of what uh, scripture says. And so the necessity of scripture is how people get there. The, the idea, their beliefs, the, the ideas of God's demands, um, 
what Jesus requires of us, what Jesus teaches us, what Jesus models for us, um, you know, what our condition is, what sin is, what is sinful, uh, what corresponds with reality, uh, where we get our sources of theology, you're starting to see, hopefully you've been able to see uh, throughout this podcast, um, why scripture is necessary. Without scripture, you have no Jesus. You don't know anything about Jesus. You know nothing about God. You know nothing about your sinful condition, your need for grace, your need for Jesus, your need for atonement. You have no idea about that. And also just for devotion. I mean, uh, I mean, the Christian life doesn't just start with the Bible. It also thrives through the Bible. Matthew 4, 4 says, man shall, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said that when he was being tempted uh, by, by Satan in the wilderness. And so just as our physical lives are maintained uh, with nourishment from physical food, so our spiritual lives are also maintained by daily nourishment with the word of God. Before we actually had this, uh, the conversation you're hearing now, Justin and I uh, were kind of talking about what God is teaching us in scripture. So that's another necessary part of, of why we have scripture as a Christian.